You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Jeff and Anne Vandermeer. They have a new anthology they've edited called The New Weird. Thank you for joining me, Jeff and Anne. You're very welcome. It's yeah. a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. You know, Jeff, uh, when I uh, this is called this is called the the New Weird, and I'm thinking maybe it should be the sprightly but middle-aged weird. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things that interested me in, in your opening essay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm used to a more playful tone from you or a metafictional tone, and you got right down to scholarly brass tacks. Well, um, I think we took this anthology very seriously because um, there was no real, I think, coherent working definition for what New Weird is. Um, there were a lot of different opinions, um, but there was also there's also been a lot of controversy about the term. And uh, I think if you're going to, if you're going to, edit an anthology that purports to be an overview of, of a moment or a movement or whatever you want to call it, um, you, you should take it seriously. And, um, you know, I've done this kind of stuff before, usually uh, about authors like Angela Carter, more serious uh, essays, uh, but never for an introduction. Usually I do go with a more playful tone. Uh, but here I think it's very important to ground the reader in, um, in, in at least two of the threads that, that led to New Weird, one of which was the new wave of the... 60s, and the other was um, horror, like uh, transgressive horror, body horror, like Clive Barker's work, which I think were both uh, seminal and leading to stuff uh, like, uh, you know, by, by China Mieville, for example. As well as your work, and as, as an editor for uh, The Silver Web. Oh, yes. I can, I can see that in many respects. A lot of people have pointed that out as well. Uh, one of the things that I think is very interesting, uh, when you talk about the new wave of uh, science fiction, it's something that we haven't heard a lot about recently, and it's and it's really interesting to to discuss just what it was because it was a a, a pretty big m- a moment and a, a, an actual authentic literary movement in the genre fiction world that drew attention from the literary world. Well, I think I think one thing that was maybe not unique about it, but unique in terms of science fiction, because like cyberpunks, I mean, they were all over the place, although you might say that there was some origin point in, in Texas at one point when some of them were in the same place. But, but you know, a lot of them were in London, Michael Moorcock, J.G. Ballard, uh, M. John Harrison. And, and really what it was was, was applying experimentalism and, and a lot of mainstream literary influences to science fiction. And some of it didn't work. You know, some of it was completely out there and, and was a failure, and some of it did work. But I think the, the main thing that's interesting about it is the reason you don't really hear about it anymore is because a lot of those authors went on to be very successful just in terms of the mainstream literary establishment or just in terms of general fiction. So, like, Ballard, you know, is considered to be, you know, pretty much, you know, somebody, when you go to the bookstores in the general fiction section most of the time, the same thing for some of Michael Moorcock's work, although, of course, he has some work which is very recognizably fits within a genre. Um, maybe less so M. John Harrison, but, you know, there was... And, and James Salas, for example, you know, another one who, who isn't always necessarily associated with uh, the New Way, but he was there, too, you know, is, is now part of the mainstream. Um, and so that's probably, in a sense, why you don't hear as much about them in the science fiction fantasy community. Um, but then also there have other, been other movements since that have been very influential, like... Uh, 
the cyberpunk. So, you know, there's more to choose from. Yeah. I think I think in a lot of ways it was it was about taking chances. A lot of people look at genre fiction as being more comfortable, reliable. It's always this. It's always that. It's something that I'm familiar with. And I think that that the new wave that came out during that time period was about taking chances with science fiction, doing something different. And I think that the other movements that have come since then cyberpunk, um, splatterpunk, and then, of course, New Weird is the same thing. It's like, okay, we, we've done that. Now we want to try something new. We want, to, we want to experiment. We want to see how far we can push it. And I think that that's, that's um, at exactly what happened with New Weird and the things that are coming afterwards. Uh, one of the things that interested me, what the way, one of the ways you described the new wave um, that I thought found really fascinating uh, as a perception was of formal experimentation. Could you talk about that? Well, I mean, if you look at the old New World uh, magazine, which uh, at the time was mostly edited by Michael Moorcock, there is what you'd call a lot of formal experimentation. There's, like, surrealist games expressed as short stories. There's um, cut-up text. I mean, stuff that you would, you would think of as coming from someone like William Burroughs um, or maybe even the, um, the, uh, the French school of the 1960s. I think it's pronounced Ulipu, who, um, you know, George Perec was one of their members, and he would experiment with things like writing a novel without, I can't remember whether it was the letter A or the letter E. So you'd find stories that did those kinds of things um, within the pages of New Worlds, in addition to stuff that wasn't, you know, as formally experimental. Um, and I think actually it's, it's um, the formally experimental stuff is the stuff that, that when people think of the new wave as not being successful, they think of that stuff, even though that was only a, a proponent, a, a, a part of it, a small part. And, and it also... Uh was a time when science fiction and fantasy were combined very successfully uh, commercially by Jack Vance and his Dying Earth series. And then I remember those as being books that really imprinted me. And I think that that found its ultimate commercial dilution in the Star Wars movies. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think also um, Vance is definitely the godfather, is one of the, the influences. I know M. John Harrison hates hearing about influences, but one of Harrison's early influences, obviously, was Vance in a, in a novel like The Pastel City. So he, he definitely was in the mix there as an influence on the new wave. Now, the other uh, big uh, high point you talk about is Clive Barker's Books of Blood and the transgressive science fiction horror that came out in the mid-'80s, which kind of was get, ended up kind of being somewhat uh, pigeonholed by the term splatterpunk because everybody wanted to be a punk then. Well, I actually think that, that Barker's work uh, was a precursor to the splatterpunk. I mean, he was doing his books of blood long before the other horror writers um, followed, but I think that he kind of paved the way. But one of the things about his fiction that I found is that when he presented these things, he presented it as if, well, this is the way it is and this is normal, not like it was something strange or unusual, but just that this is the way that it is. And... Um, instead of making it be like normal people and all of a sudden something weird happens. You know, everything was kind of in this strange world, and I think that was a, a, a big shift for the way that horror was looked upon during that time period. Well, I think it's because even though his stuff could be scary, that wasn't really the point. I mean, what he wanted to do was get beyond that point. He wanted to say, okay, here's the monster, here's whatever it is. Now, how do you, how do you deal with that after the initial shock? And so a lot of his stories take that as a starting point and go further, and that's why I feel that they were relatively unique. And I think that's also why you can see the influence of Barker on Mieville's work, because he had a lot of transformed bodies, a lot of grotesquerie, 
where the point, again, isn't the scare. It's just this is the way things are. This is the way these people are. And then he goes forward from there. And, and it's also a matter of this is the way we are, because when you talk about transformational body horror, I, I have to think of David Cronenberg being an influence in here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it, it, it's that, that sense that not, not only are the monsters some form of transformed or body organs, we have those too. As, as Clive Barker said, we, we just look different when we're turned inside out. Mm-hmm. Right. No, mm-hmm. absolutely. Exactly. And I think, um, I think it's because of those seeing such strong influences of, of both that type of horror and the new wave in a lot of these authors associated with the term new weird is what made, it, made us think it was possible to do an anthology you know, of, of new weird work. And it, it's, not, it, it's, it's not meant as a, as a steel trap, if that makes any sense. It's, it's meant as a dialogue. We have a lot of nonfiction in there where people debate what new weird is. So the point isn't to, I mean, the point is to, for us to say what we think New Weird is, but, and then present that in the anthology, but also to provide space for a lot of voices giving their opinions of what they think New Weird is as well. Well, one of the things that, that interested me as I, as I read this book was the way you go about creating a, a literary movement, because you, in uh, both, Jeff, you and Anne have helped to create this literary movement and moment and uh, both of you through editing, and, and particularly with the Silver Web, and you through writing with uh, the Ambergris stories, and the third component are these kind of discussions that you include in the anthology. And I think that's a really fascinating look at just the mechanics of bringing attention to a certain kind of, of literature and, and letting people know that it's there and why they should, why it matters. Well, I. I... I think from the most part, from, from my point of view, it wasn't so a matter of recognizing a, a new literary movement or moment, but it just kind of happened that way, where you're looking for something different, you're looking for something new, and this is what attracts you. So you start seeking out more of that type of work, or, you're, or in Jeff's case, you're writing in, in that type of work. And then later on, you look back and go, hmm. You know, maybe maybe there is something that connects here, but you but when you're in it, when you're in the middle of it and doing it, you're not really thinking about what is this, what is this called? You're just doing it. Yeah, and, and the fact of the matter is that the t- term was coined on the third alternative uh, message boards, or at least first formally put forward by M. John Harrison. And there's also there's still some debate as to whether Steph Swanson, another uh, British writer, and Chai Mayville may have can't come up with it first, and then Harrison put it forward. But but whatever. The, Whatever is the case, the first time that the term appeared was in 2003. Um, so the, the work that you're talking about that, that Anne and I did predated that by, by almost, you know, the decade before, before 2003. And, um, and, and she's right that there was no, no term for it. But, but in going through all these stories and, and deciding what's going to be in the anthology and, and looking back, it was like, well, this, this makes sense. I mean, Mayville's Perdido Street Station kind of crystallized it in a sense. It kind of... It kind of brought together elements that made people go, "Oh, there is this new thing happening." Um, but the fact of the matter is that a lot of the stuff Anne published and that I published in uh, the Leviathan series was definitely, again, influenced by this combination of transgressive horror and the new wave. And also, I think, uh, literary fiction, surreal literary. Definitely, fiction. yes, definitely surrealism. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your definition of New Weird. I think it's really interesting, and, and I think it's right on. One of the things I like about this book is that 
and the, your, the way you talk about the new way, or the way you're talking about it now, is that, as you say, it's not a steel trap. It's more like, a, I guess, a lens through which you can view things and, and find some commonality. Definitely. I mean, um, the, the, the only reason that we took this on, in a sense, is that we have been somewhat skeptical of the term. You know, so, so it, it was important, like I said, to be concrete in the introduction, but also to be open-ended, because we still have, have our own questions. But it did become clear that this stuff wasn't the old weird. It wasn't the stuff that you think of as being in, like, weird tales, which, you know, Anne is now the fiction editor of, <laughs> ironically <laughs> enough. But, um, but uh, it was definitely something. And certainly you could call it something other than new weird, I suppose. You could call it <laughs> surreal sci-fi horror or something like that. Um, but but it, the, the thing is, too, that this term has gone out into the world. You know, at, at one point I was very resistant to it because I didn't want it to define my own work because, you know, when you do something else, then you're still defined by this old term. But the fact of the matter is it's out there. Readers are using it. Editors are using it. In fact, one of the most fascinating parts of the book to me are the European editor responses to the question of what is new weird in your country, because it's provided avenues for them. Um, again, it's not a steel trap. It's this thing that they've kind of made fit their their own publishing um, needs, but also their own kind of literary definition needs, if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, no, that's that's, and that's a really interesting point you make. That once you have this kind of working definition, you can use it to to bring together stuff that you might not otherwise have thought to bring together. Well, I also think in many ways it's a jumping-off point. I, I like the whole idea of, of having something out there that people can grab onto and then use that and take it somewhere else. And every single writer, I mean, there's so many different writers, if you take a look at the anthology, that bring their own sensibilities to this whole idea that you can't really say, well, this story is just like this story when it's two different writers, but you can definitely say, well, this, this, is, this, is, a, um, you know, this is a Jeffrey Ford story or this is, this is a, a Steph Swanston. It's, it's the way that they look at that whole idea and what they do with it, and they make it theirs. Yeah, but we were pretty consistent in one thing in terms of a lot of the best examples um, are secondary world examples. Um, could you explain what you they're not set in the real world. I mean, they're mm -hmm. set in some fantastical setting for the most part, whether it's kind of scientifically fantastical or just straight fantasy. Um, so I think almost every example in the section called Evidence, which is you know, supposed to be representative of New Weird, is not set in the real world. Well, one of the things that, that's interesting about your definition, let's talk a little bit about some of the specifics. You mentioned urban fiction, so it's, they're set in cities. And that's, that's unusual for fantasy. That's a big change. And that's, I think, mm -hmm. one of the most recognizable elements of the new weird. Um, and, and the other thing that I think is really interesting is the progressive political slant, as you put it, uh, mm -hmm. Jeff, post-Seattle. <laughs> Those are definitely two interesting elements to it. I think they kind of go hand in hand. I think that one thing about new weird, most of it, is it does engage our, our modern world through the vehicle of cities that are not the normal, fan, you know, normal traditional fantastical cities that come out of an ideal or an idea of, of medieval times or exotic Byzantine cultures necessarily. They're, 
there are definitely cities, for the most part, where you can see some element of modern cities in them. And so in that sense, although they're secondary world fantasies, they're, they're engaging with the real world. And the other way they engage with the real world a lot of the time, although not all the time, is through the political. I mean, China's work is very political. Death Swanson's can be political. K.J. Bishop's. Um, mine tends to be more <laughs> anarchic and uh, you know, less, less um, formally <laughs> trying to deal with that, that issue. But, but it, it, it definitely does then tie it or anchor it back to concerns people have in the real world. And I think that's very important because when you write secondary world fantasy, there's always this danger <laughs> that you're going to be too escapist, that you're going to show all this wonderful stuff, but there's not going to be enough of a tie to what people are really thinking and doing right now. One of the, the aspects uh, of the new weird that's really important is what you call surrender to the weird. The strength of the weird thing is really about not having an ironic distance from the characters, and that's actually quite different from, I think, someone like Jack Vance, uh, Jack Vance in the uh, Dying Earth stuff, because he works <laughs> his magic through ironic distance. Because here he's writing these stories that could be considered futuristic folk tales, but he's doing that so he has the distance so that you can enjoy them and still realize that there's kind of an underlying horror in them. Because a lot of times there are quite horrible things happening in Jack Van's stories. But because he's telling it in the stylized way, it, 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 it gives you that distance, that ironic distance. And, and what China Mayville talks talked about when he talked about New Weird, and I think it is true for the most part about New Weird, is, again, you have to, the writer kind of puts themselves in that moment without kind of winking at the reader in any way. Um, no, and that's it, one thing I wanted to mention, too, is that the new wave, I think, to, to my mind, there wasn't a lot of horror in the new wave. It was mostly science fiction and fantasy. And right. The horror genre pay, plays a, a big element, um, a, a bit, an important part in the new weird. There's no doubt about that. Yes. And could you talk about um, your, uh, as an editor back when you were uh, working on the Silver Web, what kind of things what was out there that you were looking for and what was out there that you were trying to avoid? Well, what I was trying to avoid were the familiar traditional storylines. Not that there was anything wrong with them, but I was trying to do something different with my magazine. At that time, there were a lot of other magazines doing, you know, the same old uh, haunted house, witches, vampires, zombies, that type of thing. And those are all fine and good, but I wanted to do something completely different, and I wanted to just kind of turn people's heads around. So that's what I was looking for when I was reading fiction for the Silver Web, is I was looking for something that turned my head around. It's like, wow, I've never read anything like this before. This is really cool. And that was the type of thing that I, that I was focused on. And I, I found that when I put that stuff out there, that there were quite a few people out there that were interested in something in addition to what they were already reading, because this is not something that this is a steady diet, this is the only thing, but it was something different than what was, what was coming out at that time. Now, let's talk about the anthology itself. It's from Tachyon Publications, and we have to thank Jacob Weissman for his fine taste in, in getting this thing off the ground. It, what I really like about this is your uh, very uh, logical and rigid, almost, construction, the way that in the uh, anthology is put together and divided into different parts. Could you talk about the different parts and how you chose each part and how you chose the uh, elements you included in each part? 
That was probably the hardest thing, but I'm going to let Jeff explain it to you. Hey, Jeff. Well, the, <laughs> the thing, <laughs> well, I mean, again, the idea of it being kind of this this dialogue got me to thinking about, you know, what is it we're really doing here? And we're really, we're really kind of putting forward an experiment. We're kind of trying to, to show you what kind of precursors there were to the new weird. We're trying to provide evidence. So we have a stimuli section. I like stimuli better than precursors because it's not quite as rigid, actually, <laughs> because you can't, you can't really point to, you know, story A over here and say it definitely was a huge influence on story B. I mean, sometimes you can if an author comes right out and says that. But you can't really, you really can't map that exactly. So stimuli seem like a, a better word. So we have the stimuli section with work by Clive Barker, Michael Moorcock, and Kathy Koja and others. The evidence section, which is all of the stories that represent the new weird. Uh, oh, you know, go back to the stimuli for just yeah, a second. Sure. Because there's an author in there who, with whom I wasn't familiar, uh, Simon D. Ings. Mm. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about him? I'm just curious. I, I, I haven't read his work. So where does, where does he come from? Well, he, he actually has uh, collaborated, collaborated with M. John Harrison. And he's a writer who came up in the, uh, in the 1980s, really, and was mostly known from being published in Interzone at that time. Okay. So he was in, like, the late 80s and, and then early 90s. And um, he actually has now switched to writing, I guess you'd call it more mainstream stuff. He has a wonderful novel out called uh, The Weight of Numbers. But his early work, especially his short stories, was very much in a kind of precursor new weird way and very much influenced by uh, i think some of m john harrison's work and michael moorcock okay so and let's talk about the evidence yeah so in the evidence we have uh Mieville and then jeffrey thomas whose punk town stories although ostensibly science fiction are really more horror fantasy to my mind and also sometimes very political like the story here uh jay lake brian evanson who's watson's boy is directly his take on gormingast it's kind of his deconstruction of Gormenghast, which I thought was fascinating, since Gormenghast is, of course, an influence on the new weird as well. And then we have Jeffrey Ford, uh, one of our favorite writers, uh, Lena Cron, who's a Finnish writer, just amazing writer who writes stuff that's in this vein. And um, we have an original story by Alistair Rennie, the only original story besides the laboratory section, which I'll get to um, that we think of as an example of <laughs> next weird, not that we're trying to coin a term, but, but it partakes of, of both new wave, new <laughs> weird, and transgressive horror influences, in addition to influences like comic books. Um, I really think it, it shows all of those influences, and so we put it last in the evidence section because we thought, well, here's an example of a new writer, uh, you know, someone who's just coming up and just now getting published, who is showing evidence of influence of this kind of fiction. We thought that was pretty interesting. That's very interesting. And then um, the, um, the next section is, uh, was originally called Discussion, but we changed it to Analysis. And, um, and that has the original New Weird discussions that occurred on the Third Alternative Message Boards. About 5,000 words of, I think, 70 or 80,000 words that went up. We just could not <laughs> include all of it, or that would be an anthology by itself. But that's a fascinating give and take be between people like Harrison and Swanston and and others, and um, and it's just it's really fascinating to just see that conversation, which which seems so much like like you know it, it's very informal at times. It almost seems like a conversation you could have if you were sitting around in a pub, um, although maybe more contentious at times than <laughs> than that. 
Well, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about too is the influence of the of the internet. I mean, this it plays a big part in in this in the creation of this literary movement and genre, and and in the uh, dispersion of, of it to to spread it around and true people know it. True, and the dispersion I think is a good thing. the The immediacy of it is a kind of a bad thing, but because. I think that what we had was a discussion that would have taken place over a year or two <laughs> otherwise <laughs> sure. that might have actually led to something more nuanced over time. <laughs> um, but instead you had that all kind of wins it together <laughs> over a period of, of a couple of months. And then, of course, you lose all the nuance of talking to someone back and forth, and so there are misunderstandings and all of that. So it's really, <laughs> really fascinating to read that. And then, of course, after that we have the uh, European editor perspectives on the new weird, which is... Um, Editor perspectives from Romania and um, Germany and Czech Republic and Finland, which I just find find amazingly interesting. And then K.J. Bishop, as a new weird author, actually talking about labeling and the, the pros and cons of labeling. And then uh, Darja Malcolm Clark, uh, another essay on the new weird. So we have that, this whole section of discussion, different interpretations. And then the last section, which I, I really enjoy, enjoyed, really enjoy putting together a lot, which is called Laboratory. <laughs> now, this is your, your take on the formal experimentation from the new wave, isn't it? Um, in, in a sense, it was, it was more, uh, we, we, I think Anne and I, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Anne, but we kind of thought of it as, as well, we want to have some fiction writers who are kind of on the edges of New Weird, but not really New Weird. We'd like to have them comment on New Weird, but we'd like to have them comment on it in fictional form rather than submitting an essay. And so we, we basically put to, together a round-robin story, had Paul DiFilippo um, go ahead and start that, and then everyone else, Cat uh, Rambo, Sarah Monet, Daniel Ab- Abraham, Felix Gilman, and Hal Duncan and Conrad Williams, um, then riff off of that to create more or less a complete story. The goal really wasn't to create a complete story. I mean, if it happened, that's great, but more to see what their take would be on, on what a new weird story is. And I think it, it turned out really well. I, I, for for an experiment, I mean, it, it's remarkably cohesive. Yeah, there's some great writing in there. Yeah, yeah. And could you talk about the mechanics of this, uh, just putting this together? I mean, you you guys have the preamble. You say Paul de Filippo started it. Did you send Paul de Filippo's manuscript to everybody else, and then Cat Rambo came back first, or or how did that work? Mm. Well, so that's one of the the, the benefits of the internet. <laughs> because okay. every, we, did, we did it all electronically so that everyone could see what was, how it was coming along. Did you collaborate in like in a, in a everybody at once mode or in a no, serial no. mode? No, well, no. What, what we did is we put up the Paul Filippo piece, mm-hmm. and then we said, each of you look at this and tell us what element in this you like and would like to expand on. So someone liked, there's some like weird dog-like creatures in there, uh, salps I think they're called. And so I think it was Cat Rambo, maybe Sarah Monet was like, oh, I really like the Salps, I want to write something about them. And so what we asked Paul to do was really put enough concrete elements about this world that you're, you're writing about in there that they can not only advance the plot that writer's coming after, but they can also latch on to whatever element they like the best. And then it was just kind of first come, first serve. So we had each of them list their top three elements they liked the most. And so I guess Cat Rambo got Salp first. And that meant that Sarah Monet had to work on something else because we didn't want there to be too much repetition in it. Um, but that, that way, everyone got to pull out of Paul DiFilippo's piece what they seemed to like the best. And then we thought that would work best, too, in terms of their inspiration for the story. And could you talk about uh, 
the the work that that you guys did as editors did you once you started seeing the the rough drafts i guess or or the completed stories that people sent you did you guys s send them back was there a feedback loop between you two and each of the individual contributors yes we did um well, we, as, as, as Jess said, we started off with Paul's story, and I think that Paul did a fantastic job getting everybody started because he, he had enough different elements in that first part that people just grabbed onto different things. And uh, we, we were able to see every single one that came along after that and make comments on it, suggestions, but we didn't really tinker with it too much. We didn't have to. It was really kind of surprising and nice how everything felt so well together. Well, what was surprising, too, is that usually in this kind of circumstance, I would imagine that there's a lot more rewriting to be done, but the, the actual on the paragraph level, <laughs> everything they sent in was so tight, maybe mm -hmm. because each piece is so short, I don't know, that it was like, well, <laughs> there's really not very much editing to be done here. And the other thing is, is they all met their deadlines. Nobody was late. Really? As a matter of fact, people were early because they were so excited about it. And that, that's what made it so much fun, is that all these writers were just excited to be a part of this. And they enjoyed it. Well, I can see why. I think it's a it's a really fantastic piece, and I think it will you know stand the test of time as define helping to define at least a, a literary moment. And one of the things I think that we'll see, as I think we've seen with the, with the in the way that Dangerous Visions uh, did for the for the new wave, um, to to bring that out from the genre world into the broader literary culture. Well, we we hope so because I mean, and 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 I think that's another reason why we we took we just we just wanted to take a. It's not that we don't take care with the other anthologies. We we actually tend to be very structured in all of our anthologies. It's just not always as obvious as this. Um, and we we tend to we tend to think of edit, editing as kind of an art. And if you do it right, then you do create a structure. But you also, again, like we were kept saying, you create a dialogue. You know, so that it's not just you imposing posing your own view on, on everybody when they read it. So. There's certainly a dialogue here, and I think that dialogue will continue. We've been I hope so. <laughs> we've been speaking with Anne and Jeff Vandermeer. They're the editors of The New Weird. That will be out in March from Tachyon Publications. Thank you for joining me, Anne and Jeff. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.